0: The voice of the prophet Isaiah is prominent in Advent. We hear from him every Sunday this season, and truth be told, he's got most of the best lines. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Isaiah is with us again this morning, speaking about a desert that is so full of joy it can hardly contain itself. There are blossoms and blooms everywhere, and a singing creation leading God's people home. The ransomed of the Lord shall return, Isaiah declares. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We give Isaiah center stage this season and it's for good reason. His visions are bursting with hope and expectation. They train us to expect great things from God's coming, which is, after all, what this season is all about. The coming of God. Long ago and here today and again in the fullness of time. So Isaiah's voice is loud and clear in Advent, but it is not the only one. There's another voice that rings out this season, year after year, calling us to prepare. And you know who I'm talking about, John the Baptist. John and Isaiah lived many centuries apart from one another, but really they have quite a lot in common. They're both prophets, people gripped by a word from God that burned inside them, demanding to be shared with the community. Both saw God at work in ways far beyond what was readily observable around them at the time. And both spoke into moments of uncertainty and upheaval with a word of hope and the deeply held belief that God is not done with this world, but is doing a new thing. John speaks very much like his prophetic forebears with fiery conviction, calling the people to repent in expectation of the coming kingdom. We heard from him last week, you brood of vipers, he spat at the religious leaders coming to listen, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. It's not a very polite way to speak to people who came several days journey out into the middle of nowhere to listen to you. But John was immensely popular. I have to think people were probably drawn to his impassioned speech and to his deep certainty that God was on the move and up to something very big. Even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees, he howled last Sunday. Every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I remember being told once in seminary that every individual preacher has sort of two or three themes that are basically what they have to offer in their preaching. sure seems that fire was one of John's. It certainly comes up a lot. That's how we think of John the Baptist, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all present him this way, full of certainty and expectation and this intensely focused energy. God is coming, he says, and you better be ready. That's how we think of John. But we have a very different picture of him in front of us today. He has just one line this morning, and you might have noticed there is no fire involved. It's a question this time, and it is addressed to Jesus alone. Are you the one who's to come, or are we to wait for another? Talk about a change in tone. The prophet of God's coming reign, the guy speaking truth to power, the wild man by the riverbank, so sure of what God is doing, that he is ready to stake his life on it, now has just a single question to ask. Are you the one who's to come, or are we to wait for another? What's going on here? Well, a lot has happened between John's preaching on the banks of the Jordan and our reading this morning. To begin with, Jesus has gotten started in his ministry. When John was out there in the wilderness calling people to repent, Jesus was still back in Nazareth at home. Since that time, he has begun his work. In Matthew's telling, it's been heavy on the teaching side of things so far. He's been talking a lot. He's been speaking about the blessedness of the meek and the mourning and the poor in spirit. He's been counseling people not to retaliate when they are wronged, but to respond with graciousness and even generosity. He has been praying and teaching others how to pray. He's been lifting up love as our central calling, even when it comes to enemies. In addition to all that teaching, Jesus has been gathering a strange group of followers, not apparently models of wisdom or outstanding faithfulness, but ordinary tradesmen and tax collectors and people with no apparently obvious skill sets at all. With these disciples in tow, he's been healing individual people, A leper here, the servant of a Roman soldier over there, a man possessed by demons across the lake. So Jesus has begun his ministry. That's one thing that's changed since John's fiery preaching. And here's one more. John has gotten himself locked up. He ended up crossways with Herod, the Roman-appointed ruler in Galilee, for criticizing Herod's marital choices. John's bold, fearless speaking really got him into trouble this time, and he now finds himself in prison. And there, with those four cold stone walls around him, John has time to think. He's been hearing about Jesus' work so far, all that teaching and praying and eating and welcoming and forgiving. And he's also been remembering the way he himself spoke about the coming Messiah long ago, Separating the wheat from the chaff and cutting down the trees bearing no fruit and blazing through the troubled world with a holy cleansing fire. And those two pictures just aren't lining up very well. This guy is not behaving the way John thought he would. Maybe it's too much talk and not enough action. Maybe it's too much mercy and not enough judgment. Maybe it's too much time spent eating with sinners and not enough time spent wielding a giant sickle. Whatever it is, something is bothering John. Jesus is not lining up with his expectations, with who he thought Jesus was. So when one of his disciples shows up to visit him and maybe bring a meal to him in prison, John says, go and find that guy I staked everything on. The guy I told everybody was going to change the world. Go and find Jesus and ask him for me. Are you the one who's to come? Or are we to wait for another? I have been wondering this week why this little incident was included in Matthew's gospel at all. I mean, I could very well imagine an editor sort of advising against it. You know, Matthew, this bit about John the Baptist losing his nerve? That's got to go. I mean, he's Jesus' biggest cheerleader. When no one else saw Jesus as anything more than a peasant from the sticks, John saw him as God's future. So let's just take out this part where John questions all of that. It would make the story a whole lot simpler, a whole lot cleaner. Don't you think? You could very well imagine this moment being left out of the gospel entirely. But whatever some editor said, Matthew kept it in. And you know why I think he did? I think it's to show us what faith is like. I mean, yes, sometimes faith looks like the John we saw last week, all confidence and certainty, but not all the time. Hang around Jesus for a while and sooner or later, you are bound to find yourself faced with a Messiah who isn't exactly who you thought he was. You might have thought Jesus was only interested in your spiritual life, but he just won't stop talking about what you do with your money. You might have thought Jesus was only interested in large-scale societal change, but he just won't stop talking about welcoming strangers to your table. You might have thought Jesus shared your set of prejudices, but he keeps on challenging any lines that you draw. You might have thought Jesus was going to make your life simpler, but it turns out he keeps leading you to new challenges you never would have found on your own. You might have thought Jesus would fix the problems inside you and around you in one particular way, but he seems to have other plans and other timelines in mind. You might have thought Jesus would show a little more forcefulness in dealing with the messes in our world, but he just keeps on being born in a manger and dying on a cross. Sooner or later, and probably time and again, we all end up with a Jesus who doesn't match our expectations. That's normal, I think, probably unavoidable. John is an everyman in his experience here. We all face that from time to time. But here's what is so remarkable. John takes his confusion and his disillusionment and his frustration and he brings it to Jesus. He doesn't write him off. He doesn't turn away. No, he brings his question straight back to Jesus. Are you the one who's coming, or are we to wait for another? And that is the life of faith right there. It is coming back to Jesus again and again, even and especially when he doesn't line up with our expectations. It is precisely at those moments when God may be opening us up to something new, inviting us to give up our old, rigid ideas for something so much better, for a living, breathing, and healing savior. Jesus does not seem the least bit bothered by John's question. You notice that? He responds by pointing to the blind gaining their sight and the deaf hearing and the lame leaping for joy just the sorts of things the prophet said would happen when God shows up. Make no mistake, John, Jesus says, the vision of a new world is breaking in, just maybe not in the way you had imagined. As we work our way toward Christmas these coming weeks, toward the strange and unexpected way that God comes to us, John shows us the way. Keep coming back to Jesus. With your thanks and appreciation, or your bafflement and uncertainty, or your frustration and impatience, or your hope and expectation, or some mixture of reactions that you can't even put words to, don't walk away or feel that you need to come only when you're certain. Keep coming back to Jesus, to this one who keeps coming to meet us. Amen.